Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning. Welcome to Talkback Gardening. It's the last day of September. It's the October long weekend. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb, and good morning, gardeners, particularly gardeners that love their lawn. But the question must be asked, will there still be a lawn around our homes in 20 or 30 years' time when climate change takes hold and we get heat waves week after week, maybe? Uh, It's an interesting question. Can we justify lawns in the future? And more importantly, what can we do, because this summer is going to be hot and dry, what can we do to uh, right now in the garden to actually get make sure the lawn comes through? Uh, to our assistants, Stefan Palm, turf consultant here in South Australia, and we'll say good morning to Stefan very, very shortly. Yes. He's going to take a look at the, the question of what you can do now uh, to protect your lawns for this summer and also... What you can, whether we'll still have a lawn in in twenty or yes. thirty years time. Well, you know, we're seeing the impact of climate change right now, aren't we? In our gardens, I think all gardeners and people uh, on the land are seeing that already. It's fascinating how it's going to have a a big influence on how we garden and maybe why we garden. Uh, One thing that's also being influenced certainly by the hotter weather at the moment is citrus gall wasp. And I hate to say citrus gall wasps are going to emerge from those little galls in two weeks' time. It's a couple of weeks earlier than probably I anticipated and we'll have more details about what to do about citrus gall wasps and how it's very easy to control so long as you know how and the how we'll discuss later in the program. We certainly will. Now if you would like to speak to Stefan Palm, our turf consultant, I would encourage you to call in very quickly on 1300 John will have a general chat with him but Stefan will be happy to take your questions. We'll fire them at him rapid style if at all possible. The phone number is 1300 891. Always happy to get your comments on the text line on 0467 922 891 and I have four ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away later in the program. We'll do two by text and two by phone so stay tuned for those as well. Let's say good morning to Stefan Palm, turf consultant. Good morning, Steph. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb. Lawns have always been an integral part of our gardens here in South Australia, and they play a very important part of our lifestyle. But as the climate changes, it's going to become hotter and drier. And I suppose to you, is the dream of the green, green grass around home going to become the impossible dream. Look, I, I don't think so. Um, lawns are, are ingrained in Australians' um, psyche. I suppose you know everyone's got a story about their lawn growing up, and I think they they form an important place in our homes and in our public spaces. So I think it'll be more of a case of adapting those lawns, um, what we do with them, how we manage them, what varieties we choose to better suit um, the climate and the environment that we live in. Well, the first thing to ask is whether when temperatures get to 40 degrees and over, over a, a, an extended period, will they survive? Look, they will. There's, there's a, um, it, all, it all comes down to moisture management. Um, the, the most common types of lawns in, in um, our climate, in our temperate climate, are the couches, kaikus and buffaloes. And especially when it comes to couches and kaikus, they're, they're really good. They're really adapted to, to growing in drought conditions. Um, they simply go into a, uh, like a drought-induced dormancy when they don't get enough moisture. Um, it takes a long time um, for them to die from lack of water, um, so they'll persist right through a summer period. They'll lose some colour um, and then rebound, and that's if you don't water them at all. So, yeah, in that sense. Those three lawns you mentioned are summer active, that's cooch, right. buffalo and kikuyu. In terms of tolerance to heat, how would you rate them? Um, cooch is always going to be the... Um, you know, splitting hairs between cooch and, and kaikuya, but um, cooch is the most drought tolerant. It'll survive the longest under drought conditions. Um, kaikuya is not far behind it. Kaikuya is a bit more resilient, like it'll rebound quicker when it does get water than cooch will, but yeah, cooch will outlast it. We see advertised new strains of lawn or new varieties of lawn. Are they any better or perhaps maybe uh, they may not be as tolerant in terms of uh, heat tolerance? Yeah, that's... Um, there are lots of lawns. There's a um, um, 
lawns coming out all the time with um, new new strains, new features, new breeding, um, and there are features of those lawns that are good um, and adaptable. But um, in our climate, it's always um, always good to to lean on one that you know and one that's been proven in our in our climate in South Australia. So, so do you think that we can? Uh, I mean, if we, the lawn it stays nice and green because of water. And if it's going to be hotter and drier, we're going to have to use a lot of water. Can we justify that? Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't want to do that. Like typically speaking, in South Australia's soils, the drier they get, the more water repellent they get. So um, it becomes a bit smarter in how you manage that water. So you want to take, make the most advantage of um, all the water that we get, whether it's through water that you apply or water from the sky. So um, it's um, being smart about using wetting agents and water retaining agents to, to make sure that that water gets down deep into the soil. Well, we might drill down to some of those issues. We're talking with Stefan Palm, turf consultant here in South Australia. And uh, Deb, uh, I presume uh, we would like to see a question or two. Well, yes, if you've got a question, don't hold back. one three hundred triple two eight nine one is the number to call. Let's look at some of those management issues. First of all... Um, Watering, the water comes out through different kind of emitters, sprinklers. How important are those sprinklers in terms of efficiency? Very important, and there's some really great new technology that's that's um, come around in recent years about making sure that that water is delivered slowly um, and not not quickly through old style um, type sprinklers or pop ups would um, blast out water super fast and then of course would run off quickly but you can actually retrofit um, existing pop-up sprinklers these days with really efficient nozzles um, a couple of them are called um, um, hunter um, mp rotators or um, rainbird um, r vans they're, they're a, a mini rotator sprinkler that do a great job of of um, delivering water efficiently so the water comes out as i say efficiently it comes out very very oh not very slowly but it, it comes out far more slowly what does that do in terms of the duration how long you leave the sprinkler on yeah it messes with your mind a bit you have to leave them on a bit longer um but because they the amount of water that they use per hour is so much less um that even in leaving them on longer you're using less water and that water that lands on the soil then can percolate through slowly, which is what it wants to do. So you've got a nice Kikuyu lawn out there and you're going to water it and give it a good soak uh, with one of these new uh, uh, efficient rotating uh, sprinklers. How long would you leave the sprinkler on, do you reckon? In each zone, an hour. Um, so, you know, historically you might, have, you might have only put it on for half an hour, but um, a good hour. You want to get um, about 25 mil of water out per week on Cooch and Kaikuya to keep it looking green in, in hot, dry conditions. And presumably once a week is better than a, a deep soap once a week, I think you've often said, yeah. is much better than a little sprinkler every couple of days. Exactly, because you develop deep root zone, um, which is exactly what you want to be doing for your... Does that mean a lot of people are going to have to refigure? They've, they've got automatic irrigation systems, haven't they? Yep. And, and they're designed because probably they're not designed efficiently enough. That they'll actually come on every second day for 10 minutes and, and, and you know the whole section gets 10 minutes every couple of days. Is that concept going to have to die out? Yeah, you have to re- rethink what you do, and and because all soils behave differently, it's it's um it's really wise to get out there with a hand trowel after you've watered and just see how deep your water got in. Um, you might find that you know a house in um, Henley Beach in sand um, might wet very differently than a house in the or a property in the hills where it's clay and and shallow. So um it's it's understanding your own block as well. So mm. and you you can use um you can go out and get yourself a rain sensor that'll hook up to today's um. Um, irrigation um, systems and you can get quite technical about um, you uh, you know control it from your app on your phone and if it's you know if it's going to rain or you want to adjust it it's very easy to do that wow sue in clemsig on the text line zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one says we water our kaikuyu lawn about three times a summer a good soak but it's tough even recovers from dog squats thank you sue louise in flinders park is on the line good morning louise Good morning. Um, well, I have exactly the opposite problem to that. Um, I've lived in my home for many, many years, and the lawn's gone off recently in the last two or three years. So my question, and I've got a dog, so and it, the criteria dies off when he uh, chooses to do that on the lawn. And, um, yeah, it's a very well-cared-for lawn, but... Um, my question is, I've had an opinion in and someone told me, oh, well, I live in Flinders Park and the person that I got in said, oh, well, you've got clay soil. That's the problem. Well, actually, I'm pretty sure I haven't. And I wanted to ask Stefan and or John if 
um, the soil in Flinders Park is clay soil. So that was my first question. My second question is uh, with regard to on um, sort of reseeding areas of my lawn um, where it's just died off, not from uh, my dog's um, efforts, but because uh, I can see the difference. Uh, I just want to know how long it takes for Kikiga seed to germinate. Yep, so to answer your first question, it, it can vary a lot. So, you know, typically clay soils are pretty common in that area, but, um, you know, you, you may have had someone in the past that's, that's put some sandy loam down or you, you may even have pockets of sandy loam that can naturally exist in, even in areas of clay. So um, if you want to get advice on that, you can you can take yeah. a core sample and we can, um, or anybody um, that knows and understands oh. soils can give you an opinion about that. Um, okay, how do I take the samples, Stephen? Just to get with the with a hand trowel, put it in a nice cream container um, oh, and that's all you need to do. Done. Um, I'll do that. Thank you. <laughs> to, to answer your second question, if your kaiku is dying off, um, it's a good idea to understand why it's dying off um, because if you don't, then the same conditions that are causing it to die off are going to repeat yes. themselves on the new lawn that you plant. And so yes, it's, it's, yes. it's good to get that. But just to directly answer your question, kaiku seed takes a while to germinate and it takes a while to get going, and it's only once it matures that it starts to creep and spread fast like everybody knows. But okay. in, in, when it's juvenile, it's actually quite quite a slow um, developer. Dog's I had a quick... I oh. had a... Oh, sorry, John. Um, yes, John. I had a quick chat with John last week about my alder tree, and he gave me some good advice, uh, and I'm waiting on that person to come. But I have an alder tree at the back end of my lawn, um, and I've... Yes, I, and I, I have got roots which are, have come to the surface. So the poor lawn is um, has a lot of competition. And Kaikou doesn't like shade, so that's another no. issue. So. Yeah. Yeah. Just a very quickie. Thanks, a dog Louise. swats. Uh, uh, the, uh, the urine that comes out of the dog it can be a problem. Do you treat the lawn as a result of it or do you treat the dog? Yeah, look, there are lots of remedies. You'll find them on the internet about um, making... Um, dog urine a bit softer on lawns um, you know it's going to depend on how much water the dog drinks and their diet and all sorts of stuff but, <laughs> no. but um, essentially it's the it's a dog urine burning the lawn blades so as long as you've got blades on your lawn and your dog pees on it there's a high chance you're going to get um, burning patches okay. so yeah alright just on the text line Rob says what about now it says Sanarana grass I don't know if that means Savannah I don't, Santa Ana yeah that's, Santa that's right. Ana yeah, it's yeah. great it's all in one yeah I don't know what Rob means when he says "what about it," but I guess in terms of watering, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, Santa Ana is a, a cooch grass, and it's very good. It, it suits South Australia's temperate climate really well, so um, that's a that's a really nice um, variety of cooch grass. In fact, many of the older varieties, like Santa Ana, it's been around a long time, are probably are still as good as, and maybe even better than some of the newer ones that are coming in. Yeah, and look. It's it's absolute fact that um, that Santa Ana suits our climate. It's still being used as much as it ever has been. Even in commercial clients um, are still using it. It's about to go down on Unley Oval, um, and so it's it's still a very popular grass that um, that suits our climate. Yeah. Mark in Hallett Cove says my Santa Ana lawn at Hallett Cove. The tap water comes out at a pH of about seven and a half, maybe even eight. Is that not completely useless for watering the lawn? When I use rainwater for my tanks, it has a pH of six, and the lawn responds beautifully. Yeah, um, look, pH, when it gets into the alkaline territory, isn't as terrible as, as acidic. So even in that area there, you've, you've probably got a layer of limestone underneath it that's um, influencing the pH of the soil. So I wouldn't be too concerned about watering with a pH 7.5. Great. Okay. We have got Stefan Palm, turf specialist in the studio. He is answering your questions and talking to John about how we cope with lawns in a hot climate. If you would like to speak with him, call in now, one three hundred triple two eight nine one. If you've got a comment to make, we'd love to receive it on the text line, which is zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. We are talking lawns, in particular lawns, in a hot, dry climate as we are expecting ahead. Our special guest in the studio is Stefan Palm, turf specialist. Let's take a look at what we can do to toughen up the lawn and maybe it will still be with us in 20 or 30 years' time. And Stefan... We take a look at those summer active grasses. They have got good tolerance to heat and they also have the the unique ability, or some of them do, that uh, they'll actually have a rest and, and, and uh, uh, stop growing in hot weather. And some gardeners are already saying, I'm going to brown off my lawn during summer. And so when it gets hot, 
instead of watering them, they stop watering, the lawn goes brown, but then in autumn, when the first rain comes along, away goes the grass again. Is that a concept that maybe uh, is worth cultivating and more people should be using, or is there, are, are there downsides? Look, it, it, in a residential home environment, um, it's, it's a really good thing to consider if you're not, um, you know, completely wrapped up in having a lush green lawn you don't have to um, lawns like Kaikuyu and Cooch will go into that drought induced dormancy that we talked about earlier and they just stop growing they just stop growing yeah and they they kind of um, hibernate away a bit and and wait for the water and when the water comes back they come back and it's uh, it doesn't damage the lawn and um, you may get some a little bit of patchiness or you might get some um, discoloration but um, you know some people like I think one of the callers or text people earlier said they water their Kaikuyu three times a year and if if you have a um um, a healthy kaikuyu with a deep root zone, um, you'll be, you might be surprised at what some good management can do um, for, for drought tolerance and for um, pres- preserving water. Well, talking of management, mowing height, does that have an influence on lawn survival in hot weather? Um, won't be lawn survival. There, there's there's talk about um, um, just increasing your um, your lawn height just by a little bit. It's um, you will increase thatch by doing it, but you also add some shade, natural shade from the lawn itself to um, prevent or stop evaporation um, in the in the soil. Lawn. Uh, we come back to the soil itself, and 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 it's to do with watering, isn't it? And often people. Uh, water and the water runs over the surface rather than going in. What role will some of the chemicals and some of the products that you can apply to the lawn to make uh, the the water more water efficient? Uh, uh, what role do they have in protecting our grasses in the future? An amazing role. Um, the uh, the role of wetting agents in non-wetting soils is um, is groundbreaking for turf for, for grasses. Um, if you can get water to to go down to 50 mil into the soil profile that's that's excellent and if your soil's dried out and you don't use wetting agents there's a very high chance that um it won't and you'll waste it so your water will go on the top and the the water or the soil will absorb it randomly so you've got to patch one place in your lawn where it's sunk in and then you've got to patch where it doesn't and the places where it sinks in of course you get deep roots and the places where it doesn't sink in you you, you keep your shallow roots and of course, then when the sun comes along, the, the the patches with the shallow roots become the dead patches. Can you explain what is a soil wetting agent? Yeah, a wetting agent is it is a chemical. It's a soft chemical. It's not a it's not a hard or toxic um, type, but it's a surfactant, and so it's from the same group of chemicals that a detergent would come from, except it's safe to use in soils. And what it does is it coats the soil, and then the the water that which was previously repellent to the soil sticks to the wetting agent. And the wetting agent sticks to the soil, and so then that it, it helps the soil to um, absorb the water, and the water then penetrates through the soil, and it works instantly. As soon as you put it on, and you put water on top of it, the water just soaks in straight away. Wetting agents are probably something many people are not familiar with. You walk into your garden centre. Um, what's on the label? Um, look, there's lots, and um, they um, you know they'll often have a, like a wet. Um, wetter lawn wetter wetter soil hydrosoil whatever it's there's usually a saw word and a and a and a water related word on there and it's usually in like a hose on pack and it's that's fine to use in that in, in an applicator like that you you apply it on and then you you water it in um, straight away and look if i um this this is going to sound um um a bit controversial but if i had the choice between putting a fertilizer on or a wetting agent on and i was going to pick one I'd pick a wetting agent for, for drought tolerance and durability. They are that significant in their effect. Yeah, because if you can't get the water down, you can't get nutrient down either and you kind of waste your fertiliser. Is the price of the product uh, an indication of the quality of it? Yeah, and it, it can be. Um, mostly when you're buying it from a hardware store, you'll get pretty consistently good but domestically rated product um, products and you'll find that, that those type don't last a um, long in the soil so you do need to reapply them so how long do they last about eight weeks it depends a lot on how much your soil dries down in between each watering the the more that happens the more the bond kind of breaks between the soil and so the you put some on now and yep. then probably in a couple of months time around about christmas time another application and yep. probably another one in autumn absolutely yeah you'd be amazed we're expecting a little bit of rain next week so it might be a yeah. good idea to do it this weekend Watch and we like a bit of controversy here on talk back gardening <laughs> too Stephen palm i've got a few callers on the line so let's take them as quickly as we can. We'll do it as rapid fire as possible. Ingrid is in Burnside. Good morning, Ingrid. Hi, John. Hi, 
guest whose name I've forgotten. Stephen. Stephen. That's okay. Uh, I've, um, we've got a lawn that was gorgeous when we moved in five years ago and soft. I think it might be Santa Anna, I'm not sure. Yep. And it was soft and fluffy and fabulous. And then when we started getting all that rain two, two years ago, um, suddenly the moss on the pavers in winter was in the lawn. Yep. And the last two years, the lawn just got taken over. Like, it was half moss last year. Does it get and shade? Asked, is, it, is it a shady type of lawn? No. Uh, there's, there's a few gum trees around. So there's one patch in the middle that always struggles yep. because, obviously, that gum tree tries to kill it. But, no, it gets full sun for a good chunk of the day, yep, which so- is why it was a shock. And it was so it, there was no moss at all until we had that really wet winter, and then we got like a, a quarter of it. But then the last last year, not this winter, but last year, suddenly it was half. Yeah, and moss. you got it. You got to so get. I'm, yeah, you got to get moss and algae out of your lawn. Um, they are the enemy of lawn. They'll as as small and as insignificant as they look, they will get underneath your your um, thatch and they'll out compete a lawn for soil space. And they'll keep pushing it. And so you can get rid of it, and you should um, whenever you see it. What's the way to do it? Um, there's a really good um, um, liquid called wet and forget that you can use on lawns. Um, it's just a you, know, you put it in a watering can or a sprayer and, and um, apply it, um, and it, it um, does a really good job. It's brilliant. Stick it over your furniture and yeah, the, put it on anything. The lichen and stuff like that's growing <laughs> yep. Thanks, Ingrid. Appreciate that. Cameron's in Port Lincoln. Cameron, good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm looking at changing my lawn. I've currently got an old school buffalo, quite a large leaf, and I'm putting up a 1,500mm um, high fence, and it's going to have a bit of shade, so that's going to be north, and I'm going to be on the, on the south side of that fence. I was wondering what lawn you would recommend. Would you get five hours or more of direct sun per day in the warm seasons? Yes, yep. So I was going to stick a, a border of pavers around the edge just so it would make it easier to mow as well, keep it off the fence. And yeah. if, if you've got that level of sun, then you can use any of the couches and kaikus as well. Um, they just need to have that five hours or more of direct sun. So as long as you have that, you can definitely um, change over. No worries. Thanks, Cameron, for the call. Mark is in Albert Park, and I think we're talking about some mowing here, Mark. Welcome. Yes, yes. Uh, good morning, team. Uh, just qu- quickly... My Santa Anna, can I mow during summer without the catcher on just to leave the clippings lay on top as a way of sort of helping keep moisture in and as a mulch? You can. Um, and, yep. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah to answer that question, um, you can. You just want to mow it frequently when you do that because otherwise you get big mounds of um, clippings everywhere which can become um, ugly, I guess. But um, in, the, in as far as the lawn's concerned, it doesn't, it's fine, yeah. Yep. And just quickly, that black beetle, can, can I spray something on my lawn to get those white grubs without harming my magpies and birds that come down? Yep, you can use a, um, a product called Aceliprin. Um, it's the active ingredient. Actually, it's not the active ingredient. It's, it's a trade name for the, for the active ingredient that's in it. Um, and that is a, it's actually pretty good as far as toxicity goes. Uh, it's very effective against um, black beetle larvae, which are doing the damage. Um, and so you put it on, you water it in, and um, if you do that, you won't have a problem with black beetle larvae. Mm, Thanks, that's, Mark. That's yeah. One, yeah, that's one of those new age chemicals which are coming in, which are very soft from an environmental point of view. Yes. And, uh, okay, acelaprin, people, it's a big name. It is. <laughs> it's called Lawn Grub Killer is the name. There's, yeah. only, there's only one company that's got... Uh, a product with a celeprin in it. It's the first of them, and we won't mention their name. <laughs> but yep. uh, if you look for lawn grub killer, that's the one that yep. you need. Grub and killer we'll just take one more call for Stefan Palm here on Talkback Gardening. That's Andrew in Mile End. Andrew, welcome to the program. Thanks, Deb. Stefan, I've got a Santa Ana cooch lawn, and I've got uh, two dwarf fruit trees that are north of the lawn. So uh, it's well established, 20 years old. But uh, the Santa Ana doesn't grow underneath the, the shade because it's yeah. predominantly shade all day. Yep. I was wondering what sort of other lawn could I put in there so I don't have to, you know, just have weeds growing in there? Yeah, it's tough. Um, typically under fruit trees like that, it's probably a, a good idea to um, um, just to garden it out. Like you can put some um, borders around it and actually create a... Um, a mulched area underneath it. If you go to a, a grass variety that's got any durability, you go to buffalo, 
and Buffalo doesn't look anything like um, Cooch. So Buffalo is the only thing that has any shade tolerance that would that would grow in an environment like that. And you may, you know, if you didn't do that, then you've got to go to really thirsty grasses like rye grasses, which while they look good, they're um, very heavy on the water. So, you know, you, you can experiment with some of those things, but most of the time people come back to just converting those areas to garden. Thanks, Andrew. It sounds like shade's an issue here because Bruce in Glenolta on the text line says, I've got a kaikuyu lawn growing strongly except where it's shaded by the house. Yep. It's completely bare in those areas. What can I do to rejuvenate it? Pro- approximately 15 years old. You can't. Um, introduce more sun. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you can do. When it's so shade, yeah. sun is a really yeah. big issue with these lawns. Look, we've got more questions than I can possibly put to you on the text line. But, John, I know you've got some other issues you'd like to cover with, Stefan. Coming back to uh, insects, some insects thrive in hot, dry weather. Yep. And one of those is the one just mentioned, the lawn beetle. Starts out as a grub. And you mentioned uh, the uh, the fact that there was a new product out there that's now very, very effective. Uh, just, just your thoughts. Is black beetle going to be a major issue this year? And when should they start doing something about it? Yeah, black beetle um, is something that it, it can be an issue, especially when they get you know significant numbers of them in your soil. The, the time to get into them is now. Um, while the grubs are in their very, very early stages of maturity, um, it's called their first and second instar stage. And if you if you get your acelopron on now, then um, that'll, that'll last in the soil for six months and you'll cover both the growing um, cycle periods of the, uh, of the beetle larvae. But you're on top of the lawn and the grubs are underneath the yep. lawn. How do you know whether you've got grubs? Yeah, um, you'll often see patchiness and when you... Um, Often people mistake patchiness for beetles verbatim. Like if I've got patches, I've got beetles, and it's sometimes the case. And if if you want to if you want to know whether beetles are the problem, you're coming back to your hand trail again. Um, you take a patch out and you have a look. And if you can see beetle larvae, then that's the problem. But if you can't, it isn't. Okay, one final one: uh, the importance of core. And we're coming back to sort of getting your lawn into top condition now yep. so that in summer it's still there and it's still ticking along yep. um, the importance of what is coring and why is that so important yeah coring does a couple of things it um it as as the name would suggest it takes you take cores of soil out of the lawn or, or of the soil profile um, and then you get the opportunity to fill them back in with with a very um porous material like a gypsum or a, or a or a white sand and that just allows little channels all over your lawn um, to absorb and hold and drain water deep down into your soil. And coring's not the type of thing you do yourself, you get a contractor in? It's better too. Um, the machines that you can hire are fairly light duty. Um, it needs to be really heavy to, to drive those cores down into the soil. So, um, yeah, get a coring contractor. Just a couple of quickies I'll throw at you. Uh, Gail says, can you suggest any native grasses or other plants as lawns in water-restricted areas? Um, yes, um, there's a couple. Um, Lipia is an older school ground cover lawn. Dichondra is a native as well that you can use that has some reasonable um, drought tolerance. Then you get into the um, native grasses, and that's another whole thing altogether. Um, some of the kangaroo, wallaby grasses, um, microlinas and things like that. So they're, they're all things worth, if you just research that on the internet, um, you can see some good options. There. How often in a season would you apply iron sulfate, asks Rob from Mitcham. Uh, it's not essential to do it at all. It's all, that's all about colour. So you can't substitute iron for fertiliser. So if if you've got something where you want some nice rich colour, um, each time you fertilise, once every three months, you can add some fertiliser to it, uh, some uh, iron sulphate to it, and that'll um, give a richer, greener colour. And I know you're about to go, but one last one. Ria asks: Are organic soil wetters as effective as non-organic? Um, yes. Um, there's some really good chemistry around in organic soil wetters, so yeah, absolutely. It's nice to have Stefan Palmer as our regular guest on Talkback Gardening. Many people might uh, like to know that Stefan writes a weekly lawn blog. It's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Thank you, John. And it's very, very, very topical of what's happening with your lawn right now. And it's featured in the Good Gardening newsletter, so all you've got to do. And uh, as a matter of fact, the, the issue we're talking about now of, of uh, getting your lawns ready for the future uh, is the subject of this week's lawn blog. Now, if you want that, all you've got to do is, uh, and you don't get the newsletter, is just subscribe to the newsletter, which is free, and then uh, there's a little thing there that sort of says if you want the back issues, you just go to the back issues. They're all there. So uh, 12 months of lawn blogs from Stephen Palm, well worth reading. Absolutely. Thank you very much for your contribution. My pleasure.
Thanks, Stefan. Great to have you in the studio. Wonderful. Stefan Palm, our turf specialist, uh, joins us regularly here on Talkback Gardening. Thank you for your many, many texts. Sorry, we just didn't have time to get to them all. We are returning to General Talkback Gardening next. If you'd like to ask John a question, the number to call is 1300 991. Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. We are going talk back gardening generally. So if you've got a question about a job that you'd like to get stuck into this October long weekend, call in now on one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Regina in Brompton has done just that. Good morning, Regina. Oh, good morning, John and Deb. Thank you for taking my call. I think I have a problem with my passion fruit. Um, it's about three years old. I'm not sure what type it is. It only has half its leaves. And it's flowering already. Okay. Well, I think it's saying I want to survive if it's flowering. Uh, but So what you've got is a plant which is uh, uh, lots of stems and not too many leaves. That describe yeah, it? Yeah, even, and even still some yellow leaves on there. So right. When did they go yellow? Last, they, did the yellow uh, come from last autumn or is it from this spring? I think it's from this spring. It looks like it's new, new the, yellow. The new leaves. Okay, no, that's most important because uh, uh, if it's the older leaves, it's probably nitrogen, and uh, if it's the younger leaves, uh, it's a quick assumption that it's a trace element. Um, I think maybe you've got a nutritional problem there. Uh, it could okay. also be it's either overwatered or underwatered. It's very susceptible to that. Um, and uh, just check round the base of the plant that it's not uh, something's not been gnawing away at the bark, and you've only got half a bark system uh, at the mm. base of the plant. Uh, sure. But, but okay, so let's assume that uh, it's, there's a nutrition issue there. Buy a good a quality fertilizer for fruit trees. Uh, yes. and uh, it will have trace elements in it. And one with Troforte for fruit trees is, I think, uh, Troforte uh, is, is, is basically the, the, the uh, microbes, and they've just added the microbes in them and they've selected the microbes so that they're uh, very effective in the soil. There are other products coming onto the market too, and I might talk to a microbiologist <laughs> shortly about some sure. of the new products that are coming. But we come back to the You want a good balanced nutrition, nitrogen, phosphorus, potash with trace elements, uh, spread that around the a plant at the moment uh, come out probably 30 or uh, say 20 uh, centimetres from the, the trunk and, and spread it for about 30 centimetres around that area so you, you've got uh, the fertiliser going where the root system is because the passion fruit have a surface rooted system and it spreads out along the top of the soil rather than goes going down um, so yep. get your fertiliser right and then mulch it and then from a watering point of view a deep watering once every month probably would set you up perfect thank you so much thanks Regina for the call nice to hear from you now we're heading to James in Victoria on the same plant James where are you in Victoria where I'm at Pakenham Oh, goodness gracious me. That's near your old stomping ground, yeah, John. I, I, I used to have it. Oh, my, my, my dad and my grandfather and great-grandfather used to have orchards in the Beaconsfield, upper Beaconsfield area. Right. Anyway, tell us all about your problem there, James. Well, I just listened to that last caller and it sounds a very similar problem. The uh, branches coming off the, the main route for about two metres around have no leaves on yeah, right. they're all on the ends and it's flowering yeah okay and it's flowers because it's 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 going into survival mode and uh, you need to get it out of survival mode and back into growth mode i think uh, because pakenham uh, you will have had a pretty wet winter over there did the problem start uh, since uh, winter or did it yeah. start back in in last autumn no 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 this winter all right, okay, just be aware that uh, uh, last autumn was very, very dry and uh, that can cause the leaves to drop. But it's, if it's got wet feet, that's the problem and it, uh, it's much harder to overcome wet feet than it is to get uh, overcome dry soil. Uh, you need to make sure that you've got good drainage around. Um, you need to make sure that you give it a, a good soak 
um, and that uh, gets your trowel out and make sure after you've watered that the water's gone down at least 30 centimetres and come out at least uh, two metres from the base of that particular plant. Um, and right. ha- having water, having checked your water that it's not a, uh, a, you don't have a drainage problem, then do exactly what we mentioned before with Regina, that you give it the fertiliser with trace elements, you mulch it, and then you get down to uh, deep watering once a month. Okay, what about pruning it? Um, if you've got uh, long, very lo- lots of long, uh, skinny little branches, I would be cutting those back maybe by about 30%. But um, try and leave as many leaves on as you possibly can. It's the leaves that will uh, interact with the sunlight and, and stimulate uh, the roots, and the roots will then sort of produce the nutrients to make the plant grow. So start with the leaves. Every leaf is valuable. All right, thank you very much. Thanks, very James. Helpful. Yeah, and uh, regards to everybody in Pakenham and listening in Victoria or around the country at the moment to talk about gardening. I used to go when I was in Melbourne to see Tracy Harvey and Slim Whittle, who used to do comedy and music, and she used to do a little routine where she would say, answer the phone from a hotel, packing them in, how can I help you? Um, thank you very much. Jenny is in Black Forest. Jenny, your strawberries are looking a bit small this season. Good morning. Well, it's um, very encouraging that there's so many off of coming off of each plant. I've got about, you know, 12 strawberries setting off each plant, but they're not growing very big. Now, they're growing in a styrene box and it's deep, um, you know, good soil and everything. And I've uh, put slow release fertiliser on there. Uh, and I'm just wondering whether I'm under-fertilising, over-fertilising, not giving them enough water, why I'm not getting bigger fruit. If the fruit are small, are they properly formed or do they look like they've been sort of uh, um, stunted a little bit? Well, some um, I know have been probably affected. I think you said the other week that uh, there was a fly or something that made them distorted a bit. A little mite, yeah. but I've picked three beautifully shaped ones this morning, but, you know, they're no bigger than my thumbnail. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, it's important that uh, when they're flowering, just take a look at the flowers and see where you can see little lice-like things there. They're little thrips, and, and right. they, they can sort of affect the quality of the fruit. But if you're getting small fruit, I'd put that down to nutrition. And, okay, putting on a slow-release fertiliser is good because it is, as it says, a slow-release fertiliser. And at certain times you'll plant, uh, uh, particularly if it's well-established, uh, needs a little bit of extra and uh, yep. I would be giving it a liquid organic fertiliser and start doing that uh, I would be putting on uh, a full strength one straight away and then a fortnight's time put on a half strength and then maybe uh, you put on a half strength liquid organic fertiliser on uh, a, a monthly basis Um, once you've got those two applications down there but on a monthly basis uh, give it a liquid organic during the growing period which will be through uh, summer and well into autumn good thank you very much thanks for calling in jenny nice to hear from you brett's in murray bridge what's happening with your grapevine brett um what i'm wanting to know is i'm getting a lot of grape it's a table grape yes and what i'm wanting to know is um it's it's growing quite profusely. I bet it now, is. <laughs> now, do I fold the these leading runners that are coming off the grapevine? Do I fold them down and tie them down, or do I just leave the grapevine alone? And it, is it on a trellis or a pergola? As I've got some wires running. And it's just following the wires? The wires, okay. Well, what you need to try and do is is uh, establish a permanent set of arms so that you've got arms going to the left and right and... Whatever you do, preserve the the ones that are going in that horizontal point of view, yeah, and which, then, I, which I've done. Okay, I've and done. then from that you're going to get lots of verticals. Now, yes. uh, at the moment it'll be going berserk. It's uh, lots of moisture in the soil, and they're going for it. And uh, you're going to have a massive amount of growth. Um, I wouldn't be doing too much at the moment. Presumably, it's it, it, is it's uh, the little fruit, but the little bunches of fruit are, are appearing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, until it settles down, in probably another three or four, two or three weeks, maybe four weeks, um, it, you'll see that the, it, it flowers and the little caps will come off the little berries. And at that stage, um, I would be thinking about 
reorganizing the structure. If you've got too many branches, you can take some out altogether. The oh, ones that are getting too long, and even the ones that are too long now, I would be sort of making sure that they're in a horizontal position rather than vertical, and then I'd be taking the tips out of the longest and strongest. But don't go cutting it back too much, otherwise you upset the hormone balance in terms of uh, your fruit set, and the fruit set's going to happen over the next two or three weeks. Yep, no okay, that sounds good. Thank you for that. Thanks, Brett. Um, and I guess we can get rid of old canes, John, that um, are dried on our grapevines. Oh, absolutely, yes. Right yes. back to the... Yeah, cut them right back to the... Uh, and, and when you're pruning uh, uh, during winter, you can cut all of your... These are table grapes we're talking about, the seeded grapes. Um, you can cut them back to the very last bud. So long as there's one bud left, uh, you can chop the rest of the canes off. And uh, so that's why you have these main arms and uh, from the main arms you'll have uh, uh, your, your vertical branches or other branches coming out of it and always cut back the new growth to one last bud and that gets rid of all the tangle and so long as you, you're going uh, those uh, uh, the branches that are, you're looking after coming out of a, a main structure it's just so easy to look after uh, a grapevine that's, that, that's got a decent framework and yeah. you can cut back to that frame than having just a tangled mess each year like mine of course <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about gardening we're going to talk about citrus gall wasp next oh. so if you've got citrus in your backyard stay tuned for that uh, but I've got four Gardening Australia magazines to give away in celebration of the October long weekend. We'll give away two by phone. So if you haven't won anything from the station in the last month, call in on 1300 222 891. Likewise, if you haven't won anything from the station in the last month, you can text through, do so on 0467 922 891. We'll take the four winners at random. This is Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. John, I went out and had a good look at my citrus tree only yesterday and I didn't think I had any galls on it, but I did see one and it was bulging, looking like something was going on inside it. Citrus gall wasps are about to emerge and because of the warmer temperatures, the temperatures in Adelaide are three degrees above average for September, that's encouraging the wasps to emerge earlier than anticipated. And according to the uh, Citrus Industry uh, Guide as to wasp emergence, at Loxton, the wasp will begin to emerge on the 15th of October. And uh, that's a good guide to the fact that they'll start emerging here in Adelaide in two weeks' time. Will you be ready? Um, it's important, and I think Adelaide, uh, uh, South Australian gardeners are to be congratulated. They've taken on the, the, the control and understanding. If you understand the, the fact that citrus gall wasps only have one, was, one cycle a year, and if you can el- stop them from procreating uh, and, and, and laying the eggs once a year, you almost eliminated the problem. And the way you, can, you can prune, it's too, almost too late to prune, um, but but the, the strategy, you've got two things you can do. You can either uh, pr- catch the wasps as they emerge. They'll emerge, start emerging in, on, the, so let's say, the 15th of October, and they'll emerge over a three-week period. After three weeks, it's all over. Too late to do anything. You can't do anything. So um, now is the time to think about, are you going to trap them as they come out using a sticky, cl- cl- sticky glue? And that's uh, basically tree guard is probably the most popular one. Tree guard, you spread that over the gall. As the wasps come out of their galls, they get caught and stuck in the glue. End of story. Very efficient, but very messy. Hard to do if you've got lots of galls. Mm-hmm. The Probably the most effective method is using kale and clay. Kale and clay is very fine. You mix it with water, spray it over the tree. It covers the leaves and the branches with this gritty material. When the wasps emerge uh, then they try to lay their eggs and they can't because of this grittiness and it's 90% effective on controlling and suppressing and preventing the wasp from laying eggs uh, and the uh, um, kale and clay is it should be available as citrus gall wasp spray now I'm aghast that 
callers are coming in and saying that they've been to their garden centre and it's not available. Um, I've got lots of texts to share with you in a moment, John. I think you'll be surprised at some of them. Okay. Well, I think that's tremos- uh, that, that, that's very, very disappointing, and I will try and uh, uh, run round some of the better garden centres. In fact, if, if there's a garden centre listening and can send to John Lamb's Good Gardening the fact that you've got kale and clay and you've also got tree guard or an equivalent, if you send it to me, uh, if there's not too many of them, I reckon we can put them into the next week's newsletter and for those that have got it uh, it'll be uh, an incentive and those that don't have it well tough bananas but you should have it you had plenty of opportunity and you almost have a responsibility to make sure that you can help gardeners uh, control citrus gall wasp uh, in their gardens wonderful now somebody's asking what's wrong with these wasps what do they do we need wasps to pollinate our figs why is the citrus gall wasp bad the wasp will start emerging on the 15th of October and within three days of them emerging this tiny minute little wasp about a quarter of the size of a, of a mosquito they're almost impossible you, you, hard to see if you've got eyesight like mine uh, so these little wasps come out within three days they have mated and laid eggs into new, the new stems on citrus and after three days after about the first week they're all dead they're gone. They can't be a problem. Now, what happens is when they lay their eggs, about three weeks after the eggs have been laid, uh, they hatch and new wasps emerge. And over a next uh, uh, number of weeks, those little small new wasps lay eggs in the newest branches of your citrus tree. The tree doesn't like that, and so it says there's a, something there, and I'm going to surround that little wasp, or that the, uh, the, the egg, the, the, the wasp lay an egg, and the egg sort of comes out as a little caterpillar-type critter, and, and the tree tries to surround it with tissue, and that's the formation of the gall. And so that gall is, is the plant's abil- try, attempt to try and say, you can be in my branch, but you can't move from here. Now, does it cause any damage? A few doesn't cause much damage, but if you have a large number, it prevents the sap flow, the normal sap flow uh, around the tree. And you'll find that uh, the tree will slowly go into decline, and uh, you'll also find that uh, if you get a strong wind, they'll often, uh, the branches will snap where there's a a gall. Mm -hmm. It's a major problem facing the citrus industry. They have different methods of control, and the control methods that we use are promoting here for South Australia are from the citrus industry research mm-hmm. uh, from uh, Dr. Yan Wan Mo, and uh, they uh, are very, very effective. And I think uh, we need to thank Dr. Yan Wan Mo for sharing his information. Now, just one more. Uh, Dr. Greg Baker, entomologist with SARDI, just retired, but he's going to be join the program next week, and he will. Uh, translate the information from Loxton to Adelaide so we will get a very definite uh, date as to the emergence and how, when they'll reach a peak, probably about uh, 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 two weeks after they start uh, uh, to emerge. And So all the detail and control will be repeated uh, in, news we- in this week's newsletter. Uh, and, and or next week's newsletter, <laughs> and uh, Dr. Baker will join the program next week. Wonderful, along with, of course, our climatologist Darren Ray uh, being the first oh, weekend in October. And yes. um, look, I've got lots of texts here that might surprise you, John. Firstly, uh, the good news is that in uh, Prospect uh, Garden Centre, this texter got some kale and clay. Uh, others are saying, um, let me see. Uh, I can't find the name here, sorry, that they have gone online and found them uh, to buy online. Oh, sorry, that is no no date on that. Um, and they've got free delivery as well. The expected date of arrival is the 3rd of October, so you can buy it online. But here are a few that might surprise you. This is from a Melburnian. Kim in Reservoir says... We've been dealing with gall wasp for years. A trick if you need kale and clay is to go to an art supply store. It's sold in half to one kilo packs, around $10 to $15. Happy gardening. Thank you very much. And that's been echoed by Mike in Brompton, who buys kale and clay from a pottery shop. 
Put 10 grams of moist clay into a small jar with tap water, add a couple of drops of detergent, shake vigorously and pour it into your spray pack, says Mike. John from McGill asks, can you apply the horticultural glue and the kaolin spray at the same time or days apart? Uh, yes, you can uh, put on the glue, and then if you wanted to uh, spray the trees, you can. Uh, uh, one chemical's not going to affect the other. And it's, uh, either of them, neither of those will co- affect the tree. And Kim says, yes, I buy mine from an art shop every year. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, it serves the garden centres right if they miss out on some sales. I'm just so cross about this. Yeah, it's not uh, ideal. And Claire in Oakden says, would wrapping gall wasp with duct tape be effective in controlling it? Uh, I suppose if you could wrap it up sufficiently, but uh, if you have a large number of galls, the tree's going to look a bit funny. And I said you couldn't do it if there was a large number. Yeah. Um, Look, congratulations to our winners of the ABC Gardening Australia magazines, Margaret in Cumberland Park and Yolinda in McLaren Flat, and the SMS winners, Karen in Campbelltown and Mark in Dernan Court. I'll have a couple of new ones to give away next time. Now, John, um, Nevin Middleton says, thank you so much, Mr Lamb. No curly leaf on my fruit trees, you the guru. So that must be advice that we got you gave last week. I think the season might have had something to do with it as well. No, it's still lovely to hear from you. And look, we were going to have a bit of a chat about the fact you've been judging the Landscape Awards, but uh, I, no, I don't think we're going to have not, time not for that week, today. No, but no. Um, that's wonderful. So what will you be doing in your garden this weekend, John? Well, would you believe I was checking my citrus tree, my one citrus tree, and I've got to decide, am I going to glue it or I'm going to use a kale and clow? It's only a little baby tree but it's got citrus gall wasp would you believe no uh, and uh, yeah I'm just going to uh, just make sure that the uh, all the pot plants are well and truly watered and uh, uh, for the first time of the season I'll be using a wetting agent and adding that and of course also adding some of the soil stimulants so uh, give your plants a really good soaking of nutrition and uh, stimulants and uh, soil wetting agents set them up for what we're about to receive yes and the thing is if you are going away for the long weekend you might already be on your journey or you're going away for school holidays make sure that you've really given a bit of water into your garden before you go yes and the the weather changes dramatically uh, in the middle of the week and back to cool weather for a short time but what lies ahead uh, Darren Ray Mm. will be our guest next uh, Saturday when he provides his three-month weather outlook for home gardeners until next week good gardening